they've figured out a way to make all of dairy and all of you know most of the Western uh, or at least American system of agriculture dependent on three sources of food: corn, soy, and wheat that are consolidated and monopolized by one company. We gotta we gotta do what works because what works now might not work tomorrow. Oh yeah, eggs are the perfect breakfast and I eat eggs every day for breakfast and then like three months later I'm like, fuck, I'm sick of eggs but I think these are all social engineering tools and when you really look at how much land is being used on the planet, it's minuscule. It's really easy to convince people in big cities that the world's overpopulated. You know, yeah, yeah, look around, there's no space, everything's so expensive. This is like the basic bitch level. When you go beyond this, there's real philosophical issues that need to be explored that uh, have to do with like just the nature of civilization and knowledge itself, the scientific method and where these ideas come from. I want, I want living water that doesn't leave me thirsty after I drink it. Body, mind, empowerment. Get stronger, faster, smarter, quicker, friendlier, more helpful, more driven. Everything the body needs. Control your mind. Welcome to the Body, Mind and Poem podcast. I'm your host, Seem Lund, and today from Ecuador with uh, Tristan Haggard and his family, they run a website called PrimalEdgeHealth.com, a YouTube channel, and as well as a podcast under the same name. After living in the States, they decided to move to the tropical Ecuador forests and start raising their children in a nature supportive environment. Tristan and his wife, Jessica, teach people how to live a healthy ancestral life by practicing the ketogenic diet and holding dear family values. Tristan, thanks for coming on to the podcast and I want to welcome you to the show. Yeah. Hey, how's it going, man? Thanks for having me on. Definitely. Just, just one, one little correction. We don't live in tropical jungle. All right. We live in, we live in uh, the Andes, which uh, for the large part, the Andes is not highly forested. They're more like, uh, it's more like arid, not arid, but it's, it's mountainous, this, the Andes Mountains, they're very similar to the uh, to the Alps in certain ways. Oh, right. Um, yeah, like, yeah, so... I, I've seen some of your videos, and when you do, like, drone shots over over the mountains, and it kind of looks very forested, and it's, it's, it's a beautiful place. There, there, are, there are eucalyptus. There are some little, like, forested areas in certain valleys, and there's eucalyptus that was actually, it's non-native, that was actually brought here. Wow. Um, you know, eucalyptus is native to Australia and California. You see the same, like Southern California. Um, the climate was completely different before, um, before it was settled uh, by Europeans, right. who actually brought eucalyptus and dried up a lot of the uh, more swampy and wet areas in Southern California and uh, using eucalyptus. So, I think uh, some of the drone footage you've probably seen here were of the eucalyptus. Uh, I don't know if I call it a forest behind my house because it's not it's not native, right? Like these are it's kind of an invasive species in certain ways, which is a really interesting thing. But uh you know, hey, it makes good firewood. It's nice dry hot firewood and uh it's good to build with. But the problem is it kind of throws off the soil microbiome a little bit in the area and it changes the the acidity levels in the soil. Mm, yeah, that's definitely a man He's gonna leave his mark everywhere he goes, you know. <laughs> That's quite unfortunate. Yeah, yeah, it's our nature. Sometimes we do things for for better. Sometimes we stumble around and and do things that are suboptimal. Yeah, that's right. So, what made you move from the states to Ecuador? Oh, that's that's it's a hard. It's it's really hard to answer that like uh, completely, <laughs> you know. But uh, you know, I mean, we were at a time in our lives where. We wanted change. We wanted something different. You know, we lived in California. I grew up in California. 
um, in the suburbs and, you know, in a more uh, suburban slash semi-urban environment. And um, we finished university and we were both, my wife and I being the other part of we, uh, we were both wanting, we, we both finished our undergraduate degrees and we were both thinking about either doing more school, going back for, you know, getting a master's degree or uh, I was looking at um, uh, chiropractic. Jessica was thinking about becoming a naturopath, and I was looking at getting into chiropractic. I was really into uh, rehabilitation of the spine because I had had certain injuries and certain uh, f- uh, you know functional imbalances in my body that I wanted to correct. I've been working years on to correct, and we was we were kind of caught between you know going into debt, going into a lot of debt to get more school and more education, which. To me, uh, seemed like a nauseating idea at the time, having gone through the university system, especially you know uh, the University of California system, which is, uh, you know, I mean, when you when you look at it, yeah, there's there's certain you can get a good education, and I'm incredibly grateful for the experience, but really, when it comes down to it, you're not being edu- I mean, it, the education is low level these days. It's more social engineering, uh, worldview engineering, and um, I don't know, brainwashing. <laughs> it was, I, I didn't want, I'd, I'd gotten a liberal arts degree, uh, studied history, which was fascinating experience. I think, uh, you know, the, the liberal arts are uh, often overlooked and, um, you know, the ability to articulate ourselves is uh, very important, especially in the sciences as well. But, um, yeah, I was, I was taking more biology classes and stuff because I was looking at going to Palmer, which was, uh, which would have required, uh, which was a chiropractic school. It would have required more of the sciences. Uh, so I, I, I got sick of it. I got sick of school. I got burnt out on it. I didn't want any more. I didn't want to put my money into it. So we decided to save up. We, uh, we worked really hard and saved up money for about a year. And we flew down to Ecuador in 2010. Wow. Um, and in 2012, our daughter was born here, our daughter Ariana, our first kid, uh, who we don't even know where she is right now. She disappeared into the woods. <laughs> some points today hopefully she's alive no (laughs) she's fine and uh yeah we run a website and the uh when we came here we had no idea like what we were doing we didn't know how long we'd be here we didn't know if we would like it or not we ended up loving ecuador we flew back to the states and sold our cars and got rid of all of our possessions there and came down here with a few bags and our dog um and uh here we are today we're very pleased and blessed with our life and uh you know we're just uh just a mellow family living in ecuador and uh running a business from home mm. it's i can definitely see that you're very you, you you live in great harmony with your family and your environment as well and it's it's you know very very pleasing to see to that you know these kinds of uh small pockets of heaven or these kinds of blissful places still exist in the world but yeah, it's actually most of the world. People don't realize most of the world is not mega cities. Yeah. Just the large populations of people get crowded into these mega cities and metropolises and megalopolises and suburbs. But it's like most of the world is not that. Mm-hmm. Uh, if you watch enough television, you'll be convinced that you know every sane and rational idea comes out of Los Angeles and New York. Uh, if you're you know, and the internet is largely run by corporations out of Silicon Valley, you know, funded by the Department of Defense and stuff. Of course, I mean, it's you know the 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 opinions and the the uh, worldview that we're given 
it comes from centralized urban areas mm. and when in fact most of the world actually does live more like we live in areas that are not heavily populated areas where uh you know food can be grown locally just i think uh, the, the push in the 20th century has been such that um you know there's been a there's been rapid urbanization in the, the whole uh uh, technological, technotronic era is um, is really interesting, but um, yeah, we do we strive to uh, to be a little bit closer to you know the natural cycles of light, uh, somewhere we can get a lot of natural sunlight and where we can get um, you know abundant, high quality food that's grown uh, you know organically, you know, it's grown naturally without the need for lots of uh, you know chemical fertilizers, uh, pesticides, stuff like that. So. It's it's cool, you know. We live in a place where there's grass-fed beef all over the place. There's yeah. lamb and goat, and uh, you can get donkey meat if you want. They actually use yeah. donkey fat here wow. as like a medicinal compound. The donkey fat is highly prized and really really expensive here in Ecuador. Cool. Um, I'm not yeah. saying we drink donkey. Fat. I've never tried it. I'm just I'm just talking about. <laughs> yeah, I've I've seen some you know some uh, camel hump fat is also becoming a trend and uh, stuff like that. So. <laughs> That's now that sounds delicious. I bet camel milk is really good. Have you ever yeah. tried it? No, I haven't tried it, but uh, probably some. It's it probably has some unique nutritional properties as well. Totally, totally. I mean, we we kind of lock ourselves into certain food sources. And I say, uh, you know, when you when we live in areas where we're disconnected from where our food grows, it can make it really easy for us to think that that's the norm, right? To think it's the norm that we just eat uh, wheat, corn, soy, and uh, factory farmed animals. Right. But you know, really, this is a modern phenomenon. This is something that's just happened recently with the so-called Green Revolution. You know, I mean, if you, the, the Green Revolution of the 70s, when you look at the history of it and what it actually was, it's this is a PR marketing term, like straight out of Edward Bernays' school for um, the consolidation, the monopolization of the entire animal agriculture industry by chemical and fertilizer companies that run now the plant agriculture industry, you know, like Monsanto, yeah. right? So it's like you've, they've figured out a way to make all of dairy and all of, you know, most of the Western, uh, or at least American, system of agriculture dependent on three sources of food, corn, soy, and wheat, mm. that are consolidated and monopolized by one company. And this is a new phenomenon. This is a new experiment, and it's failing. It's failed. And, um, you know, it's it's incredibly unsustainable and it's not going to be um, around too much longer in the form that we see it now as long as enough people uh, you know realize w what's really going on and uh, you know take control of our health and you know source high quality foods when we can and you know live a, a life that's a little bit more honest uh, um, that's, yeah. you know, at least that, that's big like yeah it's, it's almost like a conspiracy theory of Monsanto Trying to take over, trying to control the population with uh, these uh, these kinds of uh, monocrops and things like that. So, yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, it's a it could be conceived as that. I mean, it doesn't really. I mean, the word conspiracy theory it's a really loaded word, right? That somebody made up because they're paranoid. Mm. Uh, but it really, I mean, the, that word conspiracy theory that came out of uh, that was invented in the 1960s. Uh, specific social uh, social engineering purposes but yeah I mean it's it's no secret that Monsanto does desire to control the I mean, they're part of the market it's not it's not conspiracy to want to have the biggest market share in your right. part of the market it's just uh, you know kind of uh, that's just how it goes in economics and um, you know I mean when you have 
it, yeah, you have greed, you have transnational corporations that transcend, um, you know, governmental structures. And it's it makes it pretty hard. You know, Monsanto comes out of um, France. I mean, it's not. It wasn't the, the owners of Monsanto. Was it the the Harbisons? Hmm. Uh, they're you know, but this is an American incorporated company that functions mostly in the United States, but also in a lot of the uh, you know Mexico. It's huge, hmm. India, of course, um, and a lot of these other regions. But it's 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 no secret that Monsanto is incredibly powerful and holds a lot of sway within, uh, you know, through NGOs and through lobbying uh, the United States government. And you look at, you know, things like entities like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. Um, these so-called philanthropists are also highly involved in promoting the so-called Green Revolution. And, um, you know, of course, if you call something the Green Revolution, it sounds great, right? You call it, so, call it the, uh, you know, it's the Green Revolution. It's, yeah. it's the summer of love. It's the, <laughs> you know, it's the... <laughs> You know, it's the the love and light festival of uh, of you know. I mean, it's a, you you could flower up something with a million different great sounding terms, but really, what it came down to was the consolidation of the food supply, and uh, the environmental degradation that this has brought about is um, definitely it's it's an issue in the Western world, and it's affecting our health. You know, it affected my health as a kid as well. Like eating a really inflammatory diet. Yeah. Didn't help me growing up with asthma and allergies and autoimmune conditions and, um, you know, all sorts of, you know, fungal overgrowth and gut yeah. issues and dysbiosis. And, you know, I, um, so the, it's, so it's the, very so prevalent. The food, so food, the food pyramid is also then, you know, linked to this then. This well, the, the food pyramid's kind of inverted in certain ways, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know, we're, the, the cereals and the grains form the, uh, the most important part of the pyramid, whereas... You know, I mean, that's at least as promoted in, in uh, you know, the Western um, world right now, hmm. which even that word is it's such a loaded term, Western world. It's such a broad and encompassing term. I guess I'll just from where I come from in the United States, you know, the food pyramid is it seems to be completely inverted, especially considering how I eat now when I actually feel healthy, when I actually yeah. feel, you know, um, like I am able to thrive when you look at my food pyramid. I'm eating uh, meats, fats, and vegetables, but I've actually kind of decreased my vegetable intake significantly as well and realized that maybe the vegetables aren't as necessary as I once thought they were as well. Of course, you know, everything has its context. Everything has its, uh, um, its proper place. And there, you know, I can't make an, uh, an extreme statement or a universal statement about this diet that I do would be best for everybody. It's, It's about what's finding what uh, finding what works for us in our specific context within our environment, and uh, you know doing the best we can to optimize our f you know food intake, our diet, and our lifestyle. Because my optimal diet's not going to look like your optimal diet, right? Like my optimal day isn't going to look like your optimal day. Um, we've all got different preferences. We've all got different assumptions. We've got different worldviews, cultures that we come from. Um, different economic abilities uh, when we can, uh, you know, with sourcing food. So it's about doing the best we can and trying to optimize our own situation, and um, you know, not not necessarily worrying so much about what uh, what everyone else is doing all the time. Yeah, that's true. Everyone else has their own, uh, yeah, approach and their own context and the circumstances. So, like, how, how would you define your kind of way of eating? What kind of a Well, we, we eat a ketogenic diet. We eat a very low-carb diet. Uh, for the last, I don't know, probably over four years now, it's, it, I'm not sure the exact timeline. 
Uh, we've been doing a high-fat, low-carbohydrate, ketogenic diet. Um, uh, you know, you talk about keto a lot on your channel as well. So probably very similar to what you've done. Um, you know, we eat a lot of uh, you know, grass-fed ruminant animals, uh, goat, sheep, beef, lamb, um, a lot of fish, wild-caught fatty fish. Mm. Uh, you know, good monounsaturated fat sources like avocado, uh, uh, fats like olive oil, coconut oil, butter, ghee, uh, some red palm oil that we can get locally here, which is really good. Um, but uh, yeah, it's, uh, it looks like a uh, it looks like a completely heretical diet if you're to look at the, uh, the standard American diet. Lots of saturated fat, uh, animal products, and um, that's what this little guy right here that you hear in the background, Ryder, he loves it. You know, he eats steak every day, and uh, almost every day. He'll eat it whenever he can. And um, yeah, now we also eat a lot of uh, we eat chocolate, cacao, 100% cacao, which is a South American heritage food. Mm. Um, and also a good source of saturated fat and magnesium and selenium. Mm. So uh, yeah, we eat a varied diet. I I, I like to uh, I don't do keto all the time. Uh, although for the last I don't know, like nine months. I probably haven't come out of ketosis more than a few times. And um, yeah, for the first two and a half years, I did pretty strict keto. But I, I think that uh, a seasonally varied diet is great for you know people who have seasonal carbohydrates available. I don't think that carbohydrates are necessarily a bad thing. I think carbohydrates are uh, overused. And we have an abundance of carbohydrates now year-round. Whereas, you know, our ancestors and um, human beings in general usually have carbohydrates available seasonally when there's long light cycles. Um, so I think a seasonal carbohydrate intake is a good idea. I don't think carbs are inherently bad. You know, there are benefits to some carbohydrate intake for performance in certain situations uh, and for, uh, you know, just a seasonal varied diet. People have made arguments for a diverse microbiome supposedly requiring a vast amount of different fibers and plant sources. I used to adhere to that idea. I'm uh, on the fence on it now. I'm not really, you know, I don't, I don't think we know enough about the gut microbiome to make definitive statements like all of our, you know, the assumption that all of our gut microbiomes must look like the Hadza. You know, all of our gut microbiomes must look like this uh, obscure African tribe because they are supposedly relatively healthy and they uh, eat an ancestral diet so therefore our gut microbiomes must look like theirs I think um, you know uh, plants carbohydrates uh, and fiber play diverse roles in the human ecology in the human body ecology and um, can be used for specific purposes but are not universally good for everybody just like you know uh, saturated fat is not universally bad and you know carbohydrates are not universally bad so hmm. it's about context just like you said long story short you can cut everything out i said before and just say it's all about context <laughs> well that's uh, at, the, at the end of the day it all comes down to yeah the situation and uh, you never actually want to define yourself into this one specific way of doing things or you know mm, yeah that's a smart that's a smart move too right you don't want to paint yourself into a circle into a corner <laughs> yeah. of like i must be this or i must be vegan or i must yeah. do high carb vegan or low carb it's you know we gotta we gotta do what works because what works now might not work tomorrow right like i'm like oh yeah eggs are the perfect breakfast and i eat eggs every day for breakfast and then like three months later i'm like fuck i'm sick of eggs but <laughs> I, sh I wrote i wrote five books about why you need to eat eggs every day for breakfast yeah. <laughs> so it's like 
I think a, a real uh, intellectually honest approach is an approach that uh, keeps us honest to ourselves. And right. uh, we're always changing. Our goals are always changing. Our preferences are always changing. And what's uh, – <laughs> well, th this is – it's hard. Uh, I don't know how to say this. But like the, the fads of what is perceived to be true in culture are constantly changing nowadays That's too, true. like rapidly. Yeah. Right? So it's like the dogma of, oh, well, animal products are bad, saturated fat's bad. Now that's thrown out the window for a lot of the population. Mm -hmm. um, so it's like things are constantly changing. Our perceptions of uh, so-called, uh, you know, the, the hard sciences and pure science, it's, it's, it's constantly changing. And the scientific method is a process of exploration and of deriving truth through uh, hypothesis and testing. Um, and yeah, the... Uh, yeah, our, our knowledge is always expanding, so we got to be open to that. Yeah. So I, I don't know. I might find out tomorrow that what I've been doing uh, doesn't work for me, and then I'll have to change what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. But uh, I, I would, of course, hope that I would be honest enough with myself, and it's not, you know, the ketogenic diet is the best channel. It's yeah. not the yeah. you must be a vegan or you're subhuman channel. It's, <laughs> you know, it's, it's primal edge health. Like, it's primal is like, essential you know what is uh you know primacy what is um you know it's not necessarily any dog dogmatic uh diet that we're referring to but it's just like what is essential what is crucial what is the bare essence of um this experience the primal nature of our experience transcends even language you know i mean we um you know life is so profound so amazing and um yeah our diet can support life or our diet can be a hindrance to life yeah. It's true, yeah, like the, one of the biggest problems I see currently with like the ketogenic diet and paleo movements and vegan movements is that all of those movements is that, you know, they, they, they become dogmatic and they let their ego get in the way. And uh, also like the, we, we actually, like we, you also mentioned that science is constantly changing and making new discoveries and, you know, who knows, maybe tomorrow we'll know, we, we will discover that, you know, doing a ketogenic diet over the long term is actually going to, you know, be very dangerous for your genes and your overall health. So we have to always yeah. maintain your openness to these kind of things. Exactly. No, we got to be tested. I mean, it's like if I if I realized, you know, after four years, and you you see this in the vegan world a lot, right? Like the raw vegans who are like done raw vegan diets for a certain amount of time. They're very invested in it. Their whole financial situation is invested in it. So it's like most people just worship money and physical shit, anyways. So like. You know, I mean, especially in, in in the United States, it's like most people worship mammon. Uh, so, you know, if you get completely wrapped up in, uh, you know, in a in, in an economic situation that depends on you believing something, right. it can be really hard to uh, to see if it's not really working. And you see people's health fall apart from yeah. dogmatic diets, and they're unable to be honest with themselves about it, and they blame everything else, or they won't even be doing that same diet anymore, but then they'll still be lying about it. Like, and that happens a lot. Yeah. You know, unfortunately, in the world, that's a big thing. And, uh, yeah, we, uh, you know, you know our, our, my daughter had some ice cream in town yesterday. She asked me, she wanted some gelato. It has sugar in it. Like, mm. yeah, yeah, the, you know, every once in a while, it's, we don't keep these foods in our house. We don't, uh, you know, she doesn't eat a bunch of cereal and stuff, but she wanted some ice cream in town. So she had some ice cream. We're not trying to make it taboo. We're not trying to make it a... Uh, you know, uh, a religion, but it's yeah. um, it's it's something that's supposed to, so, to support life and not to uh, not to define life, right? It's like we can't define ourselves with a diet. It's like, well, you are what you eat, man. Well, it's like, no, you're not what you eat. You're way more than what you eat. You know, it's like 
there's a million different things more important than diet that'll affect the entire physiological system and psychological system, which of course affects physiology too. You know, it's like your emotional state and your uh, your psychological state, or how whatever angle you want to look at it, uh, that is going to inform every decision you make on diet as well. That's right. So then it's like you know, it's like we we can't forget that there's a lot more going on here other than just like. Oh yeah, you ate too much, so that's why you're fat. Right? Like, no, you don't. You're not fat because you ate. Why did you eat so much? Why are you? Why does? Why does food become a drug? Why does food get used as a medicine? Why do we use food to numb ourselves, or to disconnect from reality, or to put ourselves in an opiated state with the Ben and Jerry's and the hot dogs and the ice cream and then the you know whatever you know watch porn, fall asleep, drink some. It's like just the same. These cycles keep us. Um, you know, there, there's many other behaviors other than diet that'll inform our health and our well-being, including the light that we're exposed to, right? Mm -hmm. So, you know, like you said, you got some vitamin D today. You were getting outside in the natural world under the natural light, which is the only natural light is sunlight, uh, firelight too, I guess you'd say. But um, yeah, it's uh, it's it, it's really important that we have a, a holistic approach to this rather than just a uh, myopic approach. Wow. Where we just look at diet or we just look at exercise because it's missing, you know, it's mistaken the the trees for the forest. And uh, it doesn't it doesn't mean that keto can't be dangerous or keto can't give you heart disease or diabetes. So, <laughs> so what do you think? Like, might be one of the biggest dangers of doing a low carb ketogenic diet for your health. Uh, well, for most people, it would be like electrolyte imbalance. So one of the worst things about a ketogenic diet is in the beginning when you're starting out. Uh, you feel really bad. <laughs> you just don't feel good. Um, so you start out keto, and most people feel like shit because they, in the absence of insulin, the kidneys get signaled, their hormonal processes, to release water and especially sodium. So you'll dump a bunch of electrolytes, and then your body will have to try and pull sodium stores from other parts of the body or reduce blood volume <laughs> by releasing water from the blood and storing it in peripheral tissues and stuff like that. So some people will even get, they'll feel puffy and they'll feel like they've got like a flu or something. And this is just a simple lack of electrolyte issue, but that can happen with a lot of people. You know, lack of sodium, magnesium, and potassium on keto can make you feel like shit. So, um, yeah, that's probably one of the biggest dangers right there, electrolyte depletion. Um, some people could run into nutrient deficiencies if they're doing a uh, highly restrictive diet that is not well formulated. I mean, if you're just doing, if you're doing so-called keto and you're just eating like McDonald's and taking the bun off, you know, I mean, you know, it's a just, there's no one keto diet, right? It's like saying the, oh, well, if you're going to do, you know, what's the worst thing about a, a vegan diet where it's like, I mean, I know some vegans who have done long-term vegan diets whose health doesn't seem too bad. I know other vegans who've done long-term vegan diets who look like Auschwitz victims. You know, I mean, it's it's like there's there's different ways of doing every single diet, right. and it's just um, it really comes down to uh, you know avoiding nutrient deficiencies, making sure to get sufficient uh, micronutrients, but as well as macronutrients. You know, there are minimum requirements for fatty acids. So whether you're on a high-fat diet or a high uh, or a high-carb diet, we do require things like DHA. Right, we require omega-3 fatty acids. There are essential fatty acids. There are essential amino acids, and so if you're getting insufficient protein on a ketogenic diet, you could see muscle wasting. Um, if you're not hydrated enough, 
um, and you're allowing your electrolytes to get super low and not getting enough sodium, some people can get issues with kidneys uh, because their kidneys are having to constantly recycle the same sodium from the body. Wow. And you're pulling, you're decreasing your blood volume. If you're not getting enough sodium, your blood volume is going to decrease because you're going to pull water from the blood to maintain that very narrow saline balance that you require for electrolytes in the blood. Mm -hmm. um, and that will cause your heart to have to work harder. So it's like, I mean, these, and this isn't just keto. I mean, this is low sodium diets that you're, that are giving people risk of this. A lot of people who are into plant-based diets, uh, also avoid salt at all costs. You know, they'll be, they think that salt is bad. So this is, this can be an issue. This can be a deficiency, not, not only with keto, but also plant-based diets mm. uh, alike. So I'd say, um, yeah, I mean, one of the, one of the biggest things on keto is making sure to get your electrolytes in line. And a lot of people get afraid of protein when they start keto and they, uh, restrict their protein too much. Now, this can be an issue for some people because we have minimum requirements for amino acids. Mm. So I'd say, Protein deficiencies, because of the way that ketogenic diets are marketed nowadays, have been an issue in a lot of clients that have come to me, and they've stalled on fat loss. They've been incredibly hungry and felt depleted just because they were eating like 50 grams of protein when they would have needed at least like, I mean, that's like, you know, 50% less protein than they probably need, yeah. you know? So it's, um, th there could be a myriad of issues that arise with any type of style of diet, and, uh, of course, essential fatty acid and essential amino acids are required no matter what diets mm, we That's true. So how do you go about maybe preventing those uh, issues yourself? You know, what, what are the staple foods you eat to get all of those nutrients in? All right. So, I mean, a lot of people tend to focus on just like muscle meats and stuff. So uh, one simple thing that one can do to get certain vitamins on things like vitamin A, vitamin D would be to include organ meats in the diet, you know, um, you know, things like liver, kidney. Uh, I'm not, a, I really don't like kidney at all. I shouldn't have even said kidney. Heart. <laughs> I love heart. So beef heart is a really good food. It's uh, readily available in most countries and it's really cheap. Mm. Um, so beef heart is really high in coenzyme Q10. Uh, beef liver, really good source of, uh, of vitamin K2, or I'm sorry, uh, vitamin A, as well as vitamin D. Mm. Um, so, you know, foods that contain vitamin K2, even stuff like natto, uh, which is a Japanese food. It's a fermented soy product. Uh, uh, you know, soy in super high levels, I don't think is a great idea, but there's certain products, certain foods like natto made out of soy that mm. have been used incestually for, uh, you know, vitamin K2. Also, you know, things like grass-fed butter can be a source of vitamin K2 as well. Those are fat-soluble vitamins that a lot of people tend to have deficiencies in, vitamin D, A, and K2. So, um yeah, organ meats also on a ketogenic diet when you're first starting out, including foods like avocado can be a really good way to get in potassium. Also, like fresh meats and fish and stuff like that are good sources of potassium. And just leafy green vegetables like spinach yeah. um, can be a uh, spinach is actually a great source of potassium as well. And then magnesium, you can get magnesium from food. Uh, I actually most people are deficient in magnesium in general and have very low red blood cell magnesium count. So I actually usually have uh, clients supplement magnesium. Mm. Um, but also you can get really good source. Uh, you can get a lot of magnesium from cacao, wow. which is just 100% chocolate. So we actually, I don't really, I don't really take magnesium. I'll eat, uh, I'll eat cacao, 100% mm. chocolate, which is the best natural sources of magnesium and selenium as well. Mm. Also has a lot of phenethylamine in it. It's good for the heart and good source of saturated fat. 
So, um, yeah, I mean, just eating a varied diet, uh, including a variety of uh, leafy green vegetables can be a good strategy for people. And also getting a variety of different cuts of uh, um, meats and organ meats. Mm, organ meats are also, Yes, yeah, yeah. Also, eggs are a good source of iodine and have a decent amount of potassium uh, as well. So, um, you know, I mean, uh, I've... I've gone periods of time where I've lived off of eggs and steak, just out of the simplicity of it, uh, and without supplementing much more than, uh, you know, without supplementing at all, in fact. <laughs> now, I'm not saying people should do that, but I have experimented with these things. Um, sometimes on keto, potassium citrate can be a useful thing to keep around, uh, just because a lot of our foods are nutrient depleted and getting potassium in can be difficult for some people. You know, if you live in Eastern Europe where it's really cold, you're obviously not growing. Uh, avocados in Estonia, so it's like you know you getting getting avocados over in Estonia might not be the easiest thing. So um, yeah, so sometimes a little bit of supplementation with certain minerals can be helpful. Um, last few days I've been taking potassium citrate actually just to experiment and see if I feel different. Um, so yeah, some, sometimes I use it, sometimes I don't. Some people use potassium chloride, which is like salt substitute. Um, I, I'm not a fan of it. I think it tastes terrible. But um, yeah, I'm glad. I'm glad that you mentioned like organ meats because those things are so highly underrated and they're actually like so so much more nutrient dense than the flesh or anything else. You know, if you compare mm -hmm. like vegetables or fruit to you know liver, then you can see like a massive difference in vitamin A and uh, B12 and so such such things. So like absolutely. So and in and in carrots, vitamin A is beta carotene, right? So as you know. That's not the same as retinol. Yeah. Like so, like retinol is the fatty source of vitamin A. It it is found in animal products exclusively, and very few people can efficiently convert retinol uh, from beta carotene. Mm. So beta carotene is technically considered vitamin A. It's a plant source of vitamin A. Very little of that is able to be processed by the body and turned into retinol. And some people just their immune system, their enzymatic processes are not dialed in very well to uh to use it so um yeah the, these animal sources like organ meats are super important and that's the book the ketogenic edge cookbook mm -hmm. um so there's an entire section showing uh showing you how to make foods like liver and uh, how to use heart like we like to get ground heart and make meatballs with it i mean there's really simple ways that you can include organ meats uh i think the good gateway drug for organ meats is beef heart mm. because it's readily available it's pretty cheap you get it ground up you can mix it 50 percent with your ground beef and it tastes really really good mm, yeah um beef heart is my favorite yeah. organ meat it's, it's it's almost like very steak steaky <laughs> and and i'm so glad yeah, that's good. and i'm so glad that how do you like to cook uh i i actually kind of I either boil it or I either stir fry it so with some onions and some mushrooms maybe so it's like very good stir fry. And yeah, and mushrooms are a really good source of a lot of different uh, things as well. You can get chitin from mushrooms, which is a kind of overlooked um, uh, nutrient. It's not an essential nutrient, but um, yeah, there, there's a lot of foods out there that we're not tapping into, man. The mushroom kingdom. Uh, some people are getting into the insect eating now. I've got a guy who I've had on my channel a few times. His name is Andrew Scarborough over there in the UK. Shout out to Andrew. Awesome. He's really into uh, to insect eating. I forget what the term is. Uh, something, uh, I forget what the, the scientific term is. He's got a term that sounds really funny. Um, but yeah, insects are becoming big too now. Cricket protein. Awesome. Yeah, it's probably going to be a bigger source of protein in the future, you know. 
as as we as, as we direct ourselves towards more you know sustainable eating ways. Yeah, I I, I think that. Well, I mean, if uh, if mega cities, if the goal is to keep people crowded in mega cities where food sources are not available, then foods like that will have to be used in those areas. But that's why I live in South America. I'm not I'm not super into the whole like uh, forced austerity and uh, you know the whole fake scarcity mindset that gets perpetuated in big cities. I think these are all social engineering tools. And when you really look at the, how much land is being used on the planet, it's minuscule. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, the mega city, it's really easy to convince people in big cities that the world's overpopulated yeah. uh, because, you know, yeah, yeah, look around. There's no space. Everything's yeah, so yeah. expensive. But it's like the cities are constantly, you have to import everything into cities. Like they're not, you're not producing anything. You're not producing any food in these big cities. So yeah. I, uh, I think, sure, like it, in like a Blade Runner type future where it's like mega corporations running running these cities that that could be a the, the number one food source but uh I where where my family's at uh we're going to have a few more generations of uh you know of good old fashioned uh animal husbandry which is incredibly satisfying um and you know I think uh a far more sustainable way long term than uh mass agriculture right like you know living living in areas where we can uh cultivate our own foods where we can have chickens and um you know grass-fed ruminant animals i think that this is really important for the future of humanity and for the maintenance of um true sustainability which sustainability is not uh bureaucratic management of resources i mean if you if you go by the sustainability that's promoted on television it's sustainability equals bill gates tells you how much you can eat and who gets to eat meat you know, and it's like Oprah Winfrey and Bill Gates get to get to tell us all what's sustainable and whatnot. Um, but I mean, real sustainability is like, oh, I don't have any eggs. I'm gonna go over to my neighbor and uh, they've got some eggs. <laughs> you know, it's like there's here, here, there's you know, people are raising food. People are there's abundant uh, water and and land depending on where you live in the world. So I think I think we got to get out of the artificial scarcity mentality that we've been programmed into and realize that. Uh, Really, we do have at our fingertips a very abundant planet that um, offers us, um, you know, amazing nutritious foods uh, that don't need to. Yeah, there's, there's no need to consolidate all the resources and stuff like that. You know, we can make do with 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 what we've got very efficiently if we learn basic skills. You know, just like you know how to have chickens, uh, how to raise your own vegetables, and. Um, simple things like that you know it's and it's and these are all things that our grandparents all did right like our our grandparents all that's that's how they live they would you know our great-grandparents it would didn't know what uh organic foods were because yeah. they called it food yeah they it <laughs> wasn't food yeah <laughs> yeah yeah, uh, and so would you say like uh, the scarcity social engineering of uh of animal products and animal husbandry being being responsible for global warming and uh, and you know that, <laughs> so would you say it's, it's also like almost a lie or an illusion? Oh man, yeah. Well, I mean, this is this is opens up a whole can of worms, and uh, I'm sure like there are people who have a lot of uh, y- yeah, <laughs> yeah, man. Look, look, you get told that your farts and your exhalations are bad for the planet and are original sin. The new mythology, the new. Uh, myth- mythology in, in the world that's being perpetuated the new uh religion is one uh it's 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 one of uh environmentalism but it's a fake environmentalism 
it's um, you know this uh, you know sustainable growth, sustainable development, Agenda Twenty One stuff that gets promoted through like big NGOs um, like Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, um, you know uh, multinational corporations. Uh, you know Monsanto is really big with the Green Revolution and stuff like that. I mean these are definitely you know, I mean, even on record, if you read these own people's white papers, you know, like Stanford Research Institute's Changing Images of Man from 1974, I think it was first published, um, essentially writes about we need to uh, enge socially engineer the population to accept scarcity mentality and to accept that overpopulation is real um, wow. because of environmental degradation, animal products, and stuff like that. And of course, what is the solution? Well, the solution is complete consolidation of all resources under bureaucratic, um, you know, models of uh, control, where everything you eat is quantified and dictated by, you know, a you know transnational groups of, um, you know, in a, in a global superstructure. Mm. So I, I inherently reject the idea that that is necessary and that that is even a solution. And when you look at the uh, so-called problem that this is giving a solution to, uh, if you really dig deep enough, um, and I'm not just you know throwing this out in a dogmatic way. I, mean, I know a lot of people think that, oh, well, that, that's just the, the oil industry wants you to believe that uh, global warming is, is not real because they want to keep pumping oil. And, you know, I mean, these are, these are oversimplified explanations. And um, it, 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 I think the whole... Uh, this whole international conspiracy theory that global warming is caused by man and that our farts and cows farting is the biggest problem in the world because people are, there's too many people is uh it's an, it's a ruse. It's um, it's, it's, it's word games really. I mean, and this is just the, it's an artificial scarcity and it's an artificial threat to, um, to justify consolidation of resources mm. and complete control of resources and, uh, if you read books by like Charles Galton Darwin, who was the grandson of Charles Darwin, or uh, uh, Thomas Huxley, or uh, Julian Huxley, or even the uh, the the prophet of the New Age and hippie movement, Aldous Huxley, they openly wrote about the need to consolidate power and how um, you know the overpopulation and resource management is the ultimate goal here. Um, and this all comes out of British aristocracy and Enlightenment ideals and the Royal Society and the Royal Institute of International Affairs. And these, you could read these white papers like the, you know, Stanford Institute's uh, Changing Images of Man or the Club of Rome's Limits to Growth or the Club of Rome's First Global Revolution. Uh, you know, these are international think tanks that have openly stated that we need a common uh, enemy to unite humanity and the most the one that makes sense, uh, according to the Club of Rome, out of their 1992 document, um, was that our enemy needs to be uh, environmental degradation, overpopulation, and thus the enemy is mankind itself. Mm. So really this is a dehumanizing philosophy that leads us to thinking that we are all bad, that we are all naughty, that we are all guilty just for being human, that you being born or you wanting to have children is this terrible selfish thing growing the planet and is inherently sinful and i think that this is some of the most retarded philosophy that could ever be pushed on a population and is completely degenerate and leads to all sorts of self-loathings uh nihilism and just general malaise of life and uh lack of ability to thrive 
mm. because it's a philosophy that's inherently suicidal. Mm. Yeah. Those are so yeah, long story short. <laughs> yeah, those are definitely very all heavy with you. There. Those are very deep, or yeah, they're, they're like these kinds of problems that actually, they're almost as as if like precautionary measures as well as to prevent people from you know, to actually prevent overpopulation and something like that. And it's you know fear fear based of you know oh, oh if we if we, you know if we consume too much protein or if we focus on mainly too much of these unsustainable food groups or something like that then we're gonna you know put, put our populations into danger and uh yeah and, and we and we won't be able to feed the workforce in a sense because because the reason absolutely why, because the reason why you know the monocrops are so dominant is because they're cheaper and you can use to feed a lot of population with that you know like it's very it's very yeah. it's much more difficult to give everyone uh, organic grass-fed beef right but these the, these are so these are so the green revolution when you look at the ultimate results of it, it's actually the depopulation of rural areas is the result of the Green Revolution. Meaning it's the mechanization and the technologicalization of food production mm -hmm. and the consolidation of the food production. Uh, and thus a mass exodus has happened from rural areas as subsistence farming has not become viable for people because of government subsidies, because of corporate cronyism. So it's like this is when you – I mean uh, – <laughs> I don't know. I, I don't know if you wanted to get into like a deeper philosophical or like political conversation here. Sorry, but this this stuff fascinates me. You know, it's like I'm a student of it's history important. and philosophy, and it's very very important because this forms our worldview, and people don't realize how much philosophy informs, you know, you just the, the basic assumptions that we all make. And um, um, yeah, the uh, the depopulation of the rural areas is a result of the Green Revolution, and uh, this. Malthusian, like when you look at the the uh, the history of this type of thinking of like population over overpopulation, this all a lot of this comes from Thomas Malthus um, in the 1800s. You know, a lot of this, most of this stuff comes out of the same group of inbred royal families in Britain. Is what's so funny, right? Like the Huxleys intermarrying with the uh, what what was the uh, the fam the Wedgwoods and the Huxleys been intermarrying for years. Uh, the Darwins. Um, I think the Darwins intermarried with the Huxleys as well. I think uh, Darwins. Uh, I could be wrong there, but when you when you look at where a lot of these ideas come from, they're coming from specific lineages of um, media that have been highly publicized and like almost deified. You know, like Darwinian theories, uh, um, social Darwinism, uh, Malthusian population dynamics of like the the Malthusian idea is basically that. If populations continue to grow exponentially, they're eventually going to run out of food and they're not going to be able to feed themselves. And thus, we're going to reach this uh, population overgrowth crisis and everybody's going to die and it's going to be a horrible hell world. Uh, this has never happened in the, human, in the history of mankind ever. Like modern history, you look at industrial nations and large uh, city-dwelling societies. The sterility rates are out of control and the sperm counts go down in big wow. cities. And they've known this since the 1800s. They know that the you can read like um, uh, you know H.G. Wells, or even uh, even in this uh, this Club of Rome document I was just uh, referring to earlier that I was rereading um, yesterday, which is just fascinating. They um, these think tanks have talked about a lot for a long time how they understand that the or not the survival rates, or rather the birth rates decrease dramatically in industrial nations, hmm. and. It's not just because most people in industrial nations are sterile. Not all people are sterile in industrial nations, but sterility rates increase. 
uh, fertility rates decrease, sperm count decreases, but also the desire to have children decreases because people are so busy hustling and bustling in the cities and they've been, you know, there's, there are certain social engineering programs that happen in big cities that encourage, you know, women to leave the home and not to want to raise children. So it's like, there's a lot of, um, cultural phenomenon that, uh, lead to lower birth rates in developed countries. So the developed countries, there's no, there's actually negative population growth. Uh, if you don't have two children, if like you have a wife, right? And you guys don't have more than two children, you're not even having enough uh, children to replace yourselves because there's floods of populations coming from other smaller countries and failed states that you know are dealing with wars and you know uh, you know resource uh, exploitation by international corporations, by military-industrial complex from the bigger industrialized city-state nations. So this is there's no like this is what I'm getting at here is this is not just a simple thing of like. Oh, the world's overpopulated, obviously, because I live in New York or because I live in L.A. and I do yoga. And there's too many people in my sh in my Bikram yoga class. It's like this is this is these are this is like the basic bitch level where it's like when you go beyond this, there's real philosophical issues that need to be explored that uh, have to do with like just the nature of civilization and knowledge itself, the scientific method and where these ideas come from. And um but, but yeah, that, I think, I don't know how I got there, but yeah, overpopulation and all this stuff is, these are, these are not just simple cut and dried issues of like, yes, obviously the world's overpopulated because I watched a BBC documentary and uh, Richard Dawkins said so, <laughs> you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah. whatever. Well, he says a lot of crazy things in, on Twitter as well, so. <laughs> <laughs> Richard Dawkins, he's hilarious. Yeah. That guy's freaking hilarious. He's the most self-contradictory, dogmatic person in public media right now. I think it's so funny. Well, <laughs> so yeah, like I also think like it's, it's it, one of the reasons um, why these kinds of uh, overpopulation is being so enforced or why it's so uh, predominant is that uh, it's actually being used as a way of you know, being this sort of a springboard for another industrial evolution in in uh, in society. For instance, you need a lot of manpower to you know carry out these all these new new innovation. You need to to build these metropolises, to build these right. AI, AI systems as well. We currently need. Yes. We we need yes, we yes, need yes. We, at the moment we need a lot of manpower to carry those things out, and we need cheap labor. And you know the the way you accomplish this kind of a leap, this sort of a you know punctured equilibrium leap in a sense is 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 mm. by is by you know overpopulating the these kind of industrial uh, areas and giving them a lot of you know cheap food and uh, keeping them you know in a stressed out state as well like uh, yeah i mean it kind of depends on how you look at it too right it's like i guess we're we're kind of um when when you look at the actual like when you read what um you know the royal society believes and what the ideas that they promoted over the last century they promote the idea of um, making, you know, like man is becoming obsolete. Mm. So it's like the idea of overpopulation. It's like they had the, the, the industrial revolution happened and you've got the mega cities, you know, I mean, London was the first city to ever have over a million inhabitants and people were dying in the streets. It was disgusting and depraved back in the day. Um, there's, let's see, the, um, oops. I keep tapping stuff on my phone and I'm losing. Um, all right, so 
London. I, I forget. I, sorry, I lost. I lost my place. So we were talking about overpopulation. Uh, oh, yeah. Oh, so when you when you read kind of the writings, they they talk about uh, you know the the Huxleys and Charles Galton Darwin in this book, The Next Million Years, or H.G. Uh, Wells. He also wrote a lot about this uh, this stuff. H.G. Wells actually studied under Thomas Huxley, who was uh, Charles Darwin's right hand man, his bulldog, and the father, or was he the grandfather of uh, Julian and Aldous Huxley, but um, Charles Galton Darwin wrote about um, how in the cities it's really easy to convince people that there's overpopulation and that in cities it's very easy to you know, essentially control the flow of culture and to control the flow of information. Um, so thus it's easier to social engineer people. I'm not saying that like this is like a good idea. I'm just saying like this is what these people believe <laughs> and it's obviously there's certain truths to it. Um, and but yeah, the the game seems to be that uh, people are now obsolete. We don't need so many people anymore because in the post-industrial age, it's not going to be so much about abundance as it is supposed to be about quality. And of course, this would be true, but it's like there there's I think there's like a fundamental flaw in this. Uh, there's a there's a lot of faulty thinking here and a lot of weird. Uh, assumptions but um yeah in the, in the cities it's now perceived that there's too many people and that we don't need so many people and that there's uh you know that there's an overabundance of labor and that there's not enough jobs and robotization and automatization and ai is going to make a lot of the older jobs obsolete so i think that's leading a lot of people into nihilism into bitter useless uh and i think that this is you know i mean you could look at this as a part of a social engineering thread that uh, you know would ultimately lead to uh, you know less population and a more regulated control of breeding, which is what the that's whenever you hear overpopulation, it basically means uncontrolled breeding, mm. where it's like these people want central AI to determine who is fit and who can pass their genes on into the future, and this is what they wrote about in in uh, the the book The Next Million Years by Charles Galton Darwin, uh, H. G. Wells wrote about it in his book called The Open Conspiracy, uh, in like 1930 something, um, and yeah, this this I think when you really, I mean, this is like kind of like more documented stuff. We could go beyond this, and there could be we could speculate a little bit more on you know what the real tongue in cheek stuff that's going on is, but um, yeah, I think on the surface of it, it's like convincing people that they're useless now. And that they're going to be replaced, and that they don't—they're not needed, and that they shouldn't breed, and that having more babies is a burden. Um, this is the zeitgeist in the West at this point, um, and I inherently reject that. I've got two kids, and plan to have more kids, and I think that uh, you know uh, when you live, when you when you stop watching TV, uh, you stop taking it to the face with all this nonsense that we're being programmed with. Uh, there's a whole beautiful, amazing world out there that's just, um, and there's there's life, you know, like we've been given this incredible life and we have the desire to nurture children and to raise kids and to love life and to take care of ourselves and to leave a lasting uh, imprint on the world and to make the world a truly better place. Like the, we have, we have hunger for transcendence hmm. and that transcendence is not going to come from merging with machines. You're not going to become a god because Bill Gates is going to hook you up with like these awesome upgrades. You're going to be human 2.0 and you and Richard Dawkins and Terrence McKenna can fly off into the, the netherworld and hang out with the self-transforming machine elves. But it's like that's not transcendence to me. These are like you know, there's, there's more 
going on here. There's some more profound experience that is primal in our nature that is uh, that is so amazing and so inexplicable that there have been like all the arts and all the sciences have just been feeble attempts at describing this and at harnessing it and figuring it out but it's like really we're in this beautiful miraculous reality that we aren't we are not in complete control of and um however we do have you know a, a very deep and profound access to um you know kind of these transcendent this transcendental nature here and um yeah that's yeah that's powerful yeah <laughs> and uh, it's definitely a mystery so where do you go about how do you start or where do you start from trying to you know the issues we were talking about here how do you actually you know implement some uh, changes into your own life personal life i mean we got to change ourselves right like we have to change the way that we see ourselves the way that we interact with our reality and the way that we interface right so it's like you know it's almost uh, it's almost a cliche now where it's like oh you can't change the world you can just change yourself but it's like we really, that's 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 what it comes down to, right? The kingdom of heaven is within. The kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? It's like it's not, oh, it's within. So it's like you just sit back and do nothing. But it, it's also at hand. It's like mm. we, it takes work. It takes manipulation right. for us to come into alignment with reality and with the truth of uh, what we're really living. So I think um, our own individual journey is really important, but also um, just. Uh, asking the right questions, right? Like, why do I assume this to be true? Why do I assume such and such to be true? And just questioning our basic assumptions and uh, and um, asking the right questions can be really important. But um, yeah, I mean, it really, it comes down to, uh, to desire, hmm. right? It's like, do we want, do you want more? You know, obviously people who come to your channel, they want more. Like they want either more health or a more um, balanced view of the world, a more... Um, they want more control over their habits, right? I mean, that's that's really what it comes down to. It's like taking back control of our habits of thought, of reaction, and of action. Because a lot of us, we've just been on autopilot, right? It's like we've, oh, I go to school every day, the bell rings, I sit down, the bell rings, I stand up. We've been Pavlovian conditioned, you know? The, the TV commercial comes on and the, you know, pass the sunny D. Like, you, you, like we were raised on these stupid you know, in europe you probably didn't have sunny delight commercials but it's like we were raised on these um you know through advertising through um through media to accept certain things as truth and certain things as reality and i think um i think it's just questioning can be a really big part in the journey but it, i mean it all depends on where you're at right like some people some people need to learn how to love themselves right. some people need to learn some people need to learn how to love others some people like it's like you know it's like some people some of us need to learn how to love ourselves and some of us are too in love with ourselves yeah. <laughs> it's like so, there's so many different ways and there's so many different contexts but really what it comes down to is just we all want more mm. and more will never be filled with uh lincoln logs or dollar bills or a uh, vegan diet or a paleo diet or a keto diet. It's like that's not going to fill that emptiness inside of us. We have to fill that with something else. Mm -hmm. And a lot of people talk about meaning and purpose now. And that's a good start, right? But then I think there's a big trap of like we can fall into uh, 
you know, we, we just make up all our own meaning and we make up all our own purpose. And yeah. you know, I, I, that's how I used to think it was. And then it, it was a dead end for me. So, I mean, there's, there's different parts of the path that people can be on. And I think really what it comes down to is we all seek more and uh, we often accept less. Hmm. So instead of seeking for more than what we are, instead of for reaching for something greater, um, we end up looking down and bowing down to something that's even less than us, hmm. right? Like other people's bullshit ideas on how the yeah. world works yeah. or other people's bullshit uh, explanations for why we are who we are. Um, so I think, um, yeah, it's like in, it, when we when we want more, instead of accepting less, we can accept no less, right? Like don't accept something that's even less powerful than your own consciousness is greater than you, right? Like we got to really reach out to something more. And so there's there's far more profound realities beyond what most of us experience on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. And my goal has always been to expand that experience and make it as profoundly meaningful and as profoundly impactful in a beneficial way long term. And by long term, I don't just mean like five years down the line for me. I mean like, like I want to, like I want to be a part of eternity. Mm. Like I want to be a part of and parcel of what goes beyond just these little flesh suits and these Mm. Lincoln logs that we build our reality out of. And, um, you know, the, the eternal flux of physical matter out of the primordial soup as the, uh, you know, the, the, the materialist would call it. It's like, that doesn't satisfy me. Like I want more. I want, I want living water that doesn't leave me thirsty after I drink it. So that's kind of what I try and seek is just like what I'll never be able to fully grasp because that's what I think our heritage really is. Hmm. (laughs) It sounds completely contradictory and crazy, but it's like, that's that's what I'm all about. <laughs> I, th- I think we're, all, we're all of us are yeah hitting or all of us are yearning for that kind of an experience, but they're simply you know heading in the wrong direction or getting stuck in sort of certain patterns of thinking that are like vicious feedback loops and uh, vicious cycles. So it's difficult to break out. Of yeah, yeah, especially for sure. Get, and it's like if you, get, if you get trapped by your ego, in a sense. Yeah. I mean, we, we, we got to define those things too. It's like ego. I mean, if you look at like ego in the Freudian sense or in the like the Jungian sense of being like, you know, what we hide from ourselves in order to protect, uh, you know, these lower parts of, you know, our nature and uh, you know, greed and physical nature. Then, yeah, I mean, it's just um, the illusion, right? Like a lot of us, we we accept illusions, and sometimes we accept it willingly. And even now, like the whole thing is like all like VR and AI running our reality and we can all just live in this fake video game world. It's like, this is ridiculous. And so many people are going to waste years of their lives following down this bullshit until they realize, wait, like that's all fake. Like, I don't want to live in someone else's imaginary world. You know, it's like, that's, that's kind of what it comes down to. It's like, we accept what's less uh, rather than taking the risk of experiencing what is mm. so um mental reality and there is something far beyond just um little old me uh that you know you know grasping about in the dark um i think there's there's much more beyond that and uh mm. my, my life has kind of just been a process of trying to figure out how to embody that and how to uh how to really live that and feel that as 
intimately and as truthfully and honestly as possible. And uh, it's a dangerous journey, and it's you know, but it's what 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 journey that's worth taking isn't scary as hell. That's, a, that's, you know, that's, it's like, that's the most scariest and most uh, rewardful journeys ever. You know. Yeah. Right, man. It's like you know, what 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 you're doing here. Like you put yourself out there. You're putting out content and exploring reality and asking questions and it's like it's not easy you know you're opening yourself up to criticism and to all this you know the the madness of the internet you know it's um it's not easy to do for everybody but it's like for you that's part of your journey and part of exploring and part of sharing with others and um and that's that's why we started our channel is just kind of share our own experience and kind of um you know do our best to influence the world and influence the uh the future in a way that we see as beneficial, right? It's like no matter what we do, um, you know, all of our actions they do they resonate out, you know, like ripples in a pond. Mm. They reach the end of the pond, mm. and um, I don't accept the uh, <laughs> the nonsense uh, nihilist zeitgeist that gets pushed on the youth today, and the you know, oh, nothing matters, just like do whatever, you, you know. I don't, I don't accept that, you know. I, I think that there's there, there's something far more profound going on here than just oh it is whatever we want it to be man mm. you know it's like, <laughs> I, I I want life I want truth I want reality and uh, I've been smacked in the face with uh, my own illusions too many times to think that I uh, have got it all figured out but I definitely um, yeah like I, I love it I, I love reality I love the ability to be here to be alive and just you know share share and talk with you halfway around the world that's crazy yeah. That, that's the biggest biggest warning signs of uh, actually that you're doing something wrong if you think that you know everything like if you the moment you think you figured something out then you're immediately you know getting smacked in the face again you know and you're being you know forced to be stay humble again and uh, yeah then just, so like w w where are you trying to head with your, or where you are trying to take your channel and uh, your your website no uh, we'll try to get not kicked yeah. off YouTube for the next year or so. Yeah. Try, not, try not to have YouTube uh, ban my channel. That would be nice. Uh, you know, I mean, there's a lot of self-censorship that has to go on now with YouTube and the, um, you know, the, the recent purges of channels. So, yeah, I'll try to stay on YouTube but keep my uh, – be able to say what I want, what, uh, what I believe is true. So um, what we are doing, something we've got coming up next month, uh, we're doing a group-based – we're doing a, what's called the Keto Collective. And it's community-based coaching. Uh, we're gonna have we're gonna max out the first group at forty or fifty participants. Um, we're about twenty-five percent full already, so we've got about three weeks now. We haven't really promoted it much, but uh, it's gonna be the first round of the Keto Collective, and it's essentially a, a group-based coaching experience that allows us to be able to take on more clients. We get a, like more requests for clients than I'm able to handle, you know, on a month-to-month -month basis. I can only uh, you know, do so many meetings per day, um, and still give my clients the, uh, the energy, the attention they deserve and also, you know, not burn my voice out. So, um, we're going to be doing a uh, community based course that is going to include a lot of live interaction, live Q and A's, hangouts, um, uh, live, uh, cook offs and, uh, and, uh, it's going to be essentially like a, uh, educational, uh, month long intensive educational keto community coaching course mm. that will help you uh, be able to formulate your own macronutrients, uh, show you how to manipulate the macros long term, uh, give strategies for meal prep. Uh, we're going to be teaching heavily from our two books, The Ketogenic Edge Cookbook and The Ultimate Guide to Low Carb Baking. 
and uh, we're gonna have we're gonna be using a Discord server. So it's not just like a a lot of a lot of people do like a, a private Facebook group, and um, we're, we're not doing it via Facebook. We're using Discord servers where we can actually have voice chat. So like everybody who's participating will be able to jump on any time of the day and have like you know like talk. You know, I'd be able to jump on and talk with you. Uh, about whatever it is is on your mind or whatever it is you're struggling with. People will be able to share their experiences with each other. And, um, yeah, we're just going to continue to put out content. And uh, we'll be traveling a little bit this year. We've got some big announcements to come concerning uh, – I was talking about chocolate earlier. We're going to have to and uh, sharing a lot, of, uh, a lot of that with you guys in the coming months. That's cool. But, you know, I mean, we're just it, – it's hard to really pro- pro- project, like, where we'll be. You know, we just – we want to keep on uh, – exploring and um and in depth and an honest manner and sharing our lives with people and uh keeping it raw and keeping it real and uh um yeah the uh the keto collective community-based coaching course is going to be really fun we're stoked on that yeah i'm sure like that, that it, you're going to teach a lot more than just keto or just eating healthy like you're going to yeah, like you mentioned like this primal age style of living of sustainable sustainability and uh, this all the other Holistic lifestyle, so it's definitely something. Yeah, you know, it's like there's so there's so much of like, all right, so like you've got everyone talks about blood sugar and inflammation, right? Like keeping your blood sugar stable, keeping your inflammation low. As you know as well, there are many things that affect inflammation levels and blood glucose levels that go far beyond just diet. Mm-hmm. I mean, one thing is uh, that's really obvious is sleep cycles. If you get a poor night's sleep, you're gonna have really crappy blood glucose control the next day. You're, the glycemic response to food is gonna be much more intense if you've got, um, you know, poor sleep hygiene. So we're gonna teach uh, people how to optimize circadian rhythms. We're gonna, I mean, we're gonna basically, we ask every single participating uh, community member. You know, if they've got specific things that they want to focus on, and it's not just like a we have a standard four-week course. We're tailoring every single month-long session to everybody that's in the group's needs. So basically, we want to. Our goal is to like make ourselves obsolete to our clients, right? Like we want to arm our clients. We want to arm you guys with like the ability to just to do this on your own and to learn how to share this information with other people as well. So we're going to include things like. Uh, optimization of the circadian rhythm, other ways uh, uh, managing blood glucose levels. Um, you know, just there's going to be a lot of stuff that goes beyond just diet. Like it's a comprehensive, holistic lifestyle approach that we go for, and um, yeah, it's that, that's what it's going to be about. So we're excited for that, and then just uh, a little bit of traveling will be fun. I just finished building our uh, our truck here. I'll show you. I don't know if you got video on. There's a car. Uh, nice. All right there. Nice. I finished building that thing, so we're gonna go on. We're gonna go on some uh, road trips up north, and uh, we've got some uh, some chocolate-based stuff that we're gonna be uh, sharing with you guys soon. Some surprises to come for our audience, but uh, yeah, that's that's all. Just having a bunch of fun, trying to enjoy what we're doing, and uh, share with you guys along the way. That's our goal. That's great. Well, Tristan, it's been a pleasure talking to you. And uh, before I ask my one of my last questions, I want to ask you, like, uh, what would be this sort of an advice or something that you wish you adopted earlier that would improve your body and your mind yeah i wish i'd uh i wasn't afraid of the sun when i was a little kid <laughs> I, like my my parents used to always tell me you're gonna get skin cancer if you're out of the sun you have pale skin you're gonna get skin cancer yeah. uh but when you when you look at like skin cancer rates 
um, they're astronomically higher among people who do not work outside. So people who work outdoors have much lower skin cancer incidence. People who are in the sun more get less cancer in general. Um, I was, uh, I thought that the sun was going to burn me all the time when I was young. And it was a vicious feedback loop. And it actually kind of manifested itself in me getting more sunburned when I was young because I was afraid of the sun. I wouldn't go in the sun. And then when I was in the sun, I'd get burned. So it was like, I didn't realize just how good it makes you feel to get natural light exposure regularly. Um, so I wish, I wish I'd started that earlier. Um, yeah. So I guess that's, that's just one little thing that comes to mind right there. Sunbathing, you know, yeah. just not being afraid of the sun. That's amazing. Yeah. I realized when I was 18 years old that it was good for me and that it made me feel amazing. And it was like one of the most potent, uh, not that I was depressed, but it like it would like a uh, I'd say antidepressant, but mood booster, right? Like just like a cognitive enhancer to just lay out in the sun, even if there's a light cloud cover, you still feel it. You still feel better. Staring up at the clouds, letting your eyes adjust the natural light. It's good for us. And uh, so I was always told, you have blue eyes, you have to wear sunglasses, you have pale skin, you've got to be in the shade all the time. And uh, I kind of disagree now. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I mean, it's, it's about, it's about quality of life, right? So it's like, these are things, getting outside, getting in nature, getting outside in the sun, these have improved my quality of life greatly. Yeah, um, and I expect that they'll improve, improve the quantity of life that I have as well, but only time will tell. And, um, you know, it's like, I'd rather, you know, I, I, I think that'll promote longevity too, but let's not forget quality of life. It's like, you can't. You know, you could fast yourself into autophagy all the time, mm. and then you could wither away yeah. and be out of balance. And uh, you know, you can caloric restrict because you want to make yourself live long, but then you can be withered yeah. and weak and and uh, not enjoying your life. So That's it's like true, yeah. we got to find balance, and uh, we got to chase both quantity and quality of yeah. life. Yeah, exactly. Who would want to live forever if they yeah if they're stuck in a hospital bed or stuck under an IV or something like that? Right, like even if I live to be 150 years old, if I have to eat kale every day all day, <laughs> ah, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Kale's good. <laughs> raw kale, the raw kale diet. If the raw kale diet made me live to 150, I, I probably wouldn't do it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, Tristan, where can people uh, learn more about you and uh, your uh, projects? Right on, man. You guys can find more at primaledgehealth.com. PrimalEdgeHealth.com, and that's where you can sign up for the Keto Collective. The uh, We're starting on April 8th. I don't know if this will air before then, but our first group is going to be from April 8th, and it's going to be a four-week intensive community-based course with lots of interaction, so I probably won't be on YouTube as much that month. Probably won't see me on Instagram as, uh, live as much that month, but uh, you can also find me on Instagram and YouTube, Primal Edge Health. So... Uh, yeah, thanks a lot for having me on, my friend. It was a pleasure, you know, and I really enjoyed talking to you. And uh, you definitely opened up some of my own paradigms as well. So <laughs> it's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. Yeah, I suggest, you know, people look into this, some of the stuff I was talking about earlier. It might have been, like, kind of over people's heads. But I think a good place to start is just kind of reading some of the actual writings of the, uh, you know, the, the early eugenic societies and the Royal Institute for International Affairs. Um, and, you know, papers like uh, Stanford Research Institute's the Changing Images of Man. Mm. I think this is a really important read for people uh, looking at 20th century history, especially since, you know, the social engineering of the 1970s, 80s, and 90s. It uh, really puts things together for you well, as well as some of the Club of Rome documents and, uh, you know, the writings of, like, H.G. Wells, Charles Galton, 
Darwin, um, or Arthur Kessler. So these are some of these other, uh, uh, you know, aristocrats who openly wrote about the, uh, you know, the need to make people think that there's overpopulation and stuff. This isn't just my own pet theories. Like these are the people who promoted these ideas, talk about, and they openly wrote about this. So you can read their writings, very interesting stuff. And, um, uh, I think it's important to, uh, to question the philosophies that we think are true and, um, to always be questioning. So thanks for having me on my friend. And I love your channel. I uh, watched a couple of your videos this morning. Uh, it must take you hours to edit those videos. Uh, so I commend you on your patience and you, you got some good edits there, my friend, and some great content. So keep it up. Thanks. Thanks. Well, I really appreciate it. And, uh, I'm definitely looking forward to your future videos and projects as well. So thanks for coming on the show, man. Likewise, likewise, man. Yeah, I would tell your audience to subscribe to your channel, but they're already subscribed. They already know. Yeah. Show some love to Simland. Simland, that's how you say it, right? Simland. Simland, yeah. Right on, man. Awesome. Thanks for having me on, my friend. Thanks. That's it for this episode. Make sure you leave us a review on iTunes and other social media platforms. And other than that, subscribe, click the like, notification bell as well. Like always, thanks for watching. My name is Seam. Stay optimal, stay empowered.